Hola, and welcome to another episode of One Line at a Time. If you missed any of the previous episodes, you can find them at SpanishDude.com lines. That link is also below this video or in the first comment. Picking up where we left off in the last episode, Eleanor is learning all about The Good Place. After the movie ended, in which she found out that her soulmate lives in her neighborhood, Michael showed Eleanor her brand new house. Michael told her, You see, in The Good Place, every person gets to live in a home that perfectly matches his or her true essence and the subtitlers translated that as En el lugar bueno, todos viven en un hogar que coincide perfectamente con su verdadera esencia. Right away, in English, Michael said, you see, but in Spanish, they translated that as nothing. They just started with En el lugar bueno, in the good place. They can get away with that without changing the meaning one bit, because in this context, you see, doesn't really mean anything. You see, in the good place, every person gets to live in a home, versus in the good place, every Every person gets to live in a home. Same thing. Then, a similar situation, they translated every person gets to live in a home as just todos viven en un hogar, which basically means every person lives in a home. They didn't say the gets part. But again, every person gets to live in a home versus every person lives in a home, same thing basically. Then, from the words don't mean words department, we have to recognize that even in English, there are multiple ways to express this same idea. Michael said every person gets to live in a home, but he could have have said everybody gets to live in a home, each person gets to live in a home, or not quite as eloquent, all the people get to live in a home. And that's basically what's going on here. The word todos, regardless of whether it's serving as an adjective or a noun, can mean all, whole, every, each, and probably other stuff too. In this case, todos is being used as a noun and represents all of whatever's being talked about. Since Michael is talking about people here, todos represents all the people. If Michael were talking about chickens, todos would represent all the chickens. The translators didn't have to go this way, just like in English, they had options. They could have said toda la gente, all the people, or todas las personas, all the persons, or all the people. They have two ways to say all the people in Spanish. They could have also said cara persona, which means each person or every person. That's actually probably how I would have translated it here, with cara persona. In the good place, every person gets to live in a home. En el lugar bueno, cara persona vive en un hogar. Speaking of hogar, I didn't hear about the word el hogar for a while. I thought la casa meant house or home, and that was that. Let's go back to the house. Let's go back home. Both these sentences would usually be translated with la casa. I just bought my first house. I just bought my first home. Again, both these sentences would usually, or often at least, be translated with la casa. Because in both situations, even when we use the word home, we really are mostly talking about a house, a physical structure, an address, a place on the map. But we use the word home another way too, like home is where the heart is. When we use the word home like this, it's more of an abstract idea, a spiritual idea even. And in Spanish, el hogar is a better match. When comparing or contrasting the words, home and el hogar are more personal words than house and la casa. That's why in this context, the translators chose to go with hogar. They could have used la casa. Michael was talking about a physical house after all, but Michael pointed out specifically that each person's house perfectly matches their true essence. That puts the focus more on that abstract, spiritual, or personal perspective of the word home. For that reason, in my opinion, hogar was the right choice. Now the word matches, a conjugated form of the verb to match. Michael said every person gets to live in a home that perfectly 
exactly matches his or her true essence. In English, we use the verb to match a bunch of different ways. And while all the different uses do have some overlap in meaning, which is why we can express them all with the verb to match, they are all truly distinct. A house can match somebody's true essence because it features the characteristics they love. Two cards can match each other because they feature exactly the same picture on one side. Two colors can match because they look good together. Jimmy can match Kimmy's score by getting the same number of points as she got, and I could keep going. Fun with words, right? When Michael said every person gets to live in a home that perfectly matches his or her true essence, he meant matches like corresponds with or anything like that. And when we look up the definition of the verb to coincide, the English version of coincidir, the word the translators used for to match, we see it can mean to occupy the same place in space or time, how we normally use it, I think. Notice they treat space and time in the same way. That's actually important when we're learning Spanish, mainly because of prepositions. But to coincide can also mean to correspond in nature, character, or function, which is how it's being used in our example. Que coincide perfectamente con su verdadera esencia. They use coincidir in Spanish way more than we use to coincide in English. Then this is cool. I've always liked this. In English, to make sure he included the men and the women in the neighborhood, Michael said that everybody gets to live in a house that matches his or her true essence. His or her. In Spanish, they don't have to worry about that because su can mean his or her, or like in this context, either or. Saying su verdadera esencia is basically like saying every person gets to live in a home that matches their true essence. I do that in my script sometimes. I don't like saying his or her, so when I can, I just say there. In Spanish, there's no decision to make. Su is the way to go for sure. It can mean his, her, or his or her. That entire phrase. Then I've always liked the word verdadera. Truth is la verdad, the noun. Then true is verdadero, verdadera, verdaderos, or verdaderas. In this case, it's verdadera to match esencia, la esencia. There are other ways to say true, as in authentic, autentico, and all its forms come to mind. But once again, I agree with the subtitler's decision to go with verdadera. That's what I would have said here too. Last thing, the before-after question. Why did they put the adjective before the noun here, not after? Why did they say verdadera esencia, not esencia verdadera? I've never covered this topic in a YouTube video, but I did explain it fully in my premium course Logical Spanish. So if any of this confuses you, I'm going to go through it fairly quickly, make sure you watch modules 7 and 8 in Logical Spanish. If you don't have access to Logical Spanish, why not? Until none of us are stuck in our houses anymore, you can become a lifetime member for whatever price you want. You name the price. When you're a lifetime member, you get access to all my premium courses, including Logical Spanish. So become a lifetime member and watch modules 7 and 8 in Logical Spanish. If you do, I bet the big before-after question will rarely give you a problem again. Get all the details at SpanishDude.com lifetime. Okay, there are many different types of adjectives. Articles are adjectives, the words a, an, and the. Numbers are usually adjectives, one, two, three. Ordinal numbers are adjectives most of the time too. First, second, third. The words this, that, these, and those can be adjectives. They're the demonstratives. There are tons of different types of adjectives. And for the most part, adjectives go before the noun in both English and in Spanish. But then there are descriptive adjectives. Words like good, bad, black, white, and true, false. Adjectives that tell us more about a noun by describing the noun, those are called descriptive adjectives. That's good nomenclature. What I didn't know until recently was there are actually two types of descriptive adjectives. There are restrictive descriptive adjectives, and there are non-restrictive descriptive adjectives. 
and in Spanish, restrictive descriptive adjectives go after the noun, while non-restrictive descriptive adjectives go before the noun. Don't worry about the nomenclature, all that's important is you understand the logic of what I'm about to tell you. A descriptive adjective is restrictive when it tells us more about the type of noun the speaker is talking about. Saying the same thing another way, when a descriptive adjective restricts the story to a certain type of noun, it's restrictive, and goes after the noun. Then, a descriptive adjective is non-restrictive when it's not restrictive. I know, helpful. But that's the truth. When a descriptive adjective doesn't restrict the story to a specific type of adjective, it's non-restrictive, and goes before the noun. Getting more specific though, after looking at tons and tons and tons of examples, it seems native Spanish speakers place a descriptive adjective before the noun, non-restrictive, for one of three reasons, or a combination of them. Number one, to express an opinion about the noun that follows. Number two, to emphasize some characteristic of the noun that follows. And or number three, to make the story more dramatic. For example, in this world, there are different types of bread. There's white bread and there's wheat bread, among others. In Spanish, white bread would be el pan blanco, with the adjective after the noun. Then wheat bread is commonly referred to as el pan integral. They say integral, which means lacking nothing essential, entire, instead of whole. Again, the adjective is after the noun. The reason blanco and integral usually go after the noun when talking about bread is, we're talking about different types of bread. Jimmy bought white bread. The adjective white restricts the story to a specific type of bread. Jimmy didn't buy wheat bread or pumpernickel bread. He bought white bread. That's why blanco is considered restrictive here and goes after the noun pan. White bread, el pan blanco. But this example is different. The woman stepped onto the white snow. In Spanish, snow is la nieve. And in this context, anything goes of course, but usually the white snow would be translated as la blanca nieve, with the adjective before the noun. So in the previous example, blanco went after the noun. Now in this example, blanca goes before the noun. This goes to show us that descriptive adjectives aren't restrictive or non-restrictive, even if I refer to them that way sometimes. Descriptive adjectives serve as either restrictive adjectives or non-restrictive adjectives. In this example, blanca is non-restrictive because its main purpose isn't to restrict the story to a certain type of snow. Snow is white. Everybody knows that. It's common sense. It doesn't need to be mentioned. In fact, when said in the same context, the woman stepped onto the white snow tells us the same thing about the world as just the woman stepped onto the snow. The reason somebody would say white snow instead of just snow is to reinforce a characteristic of snow, reason number two, and or to make the story more dramatic, reason number three. That's why when we say white snow, it would usually be translated as la blanca nieve, with blanca before nieve. Now, I gotta say, it's not always so cut and dry. It's often possible to see an adjective as restrictive and as non-restrictive, even in the same context, even in the same sentence. That's because everything I just told you about white snow is true. By default, snow is white, so saying so adds nothing to the story. But white snow is still a type of snow. There's black snow, muddy snow, red snow, bloody snow, yellow snow, somebody made pee-pee? And that's even before we get to snow cones. So, in the end, whether a speaker puts a descriptive adjective before or after the noun comes down to what was their main point or their main focus. And sometimes it's arbitrary, or depends on their mood. When said in the same context, there's very little difference between chicos buenos and buenos chicos, if any. Good boys are a type of boy, restrictive, but good boys? That reeks of somebody's opinion, doesn't it? Non-restrictive. Getting back to our example now, when Michael said true essence, his main point wasn't to differentiate between their true essence and their false essence, though that subtle implication is there, he was mainly emphasizing a characteristic of 
their essence, reason number two, and in doing so, he made the story more dramatic, reason number three. Isn't our essence our truth anyway? Couldn't we define our essence as our truth? It says here the individual, real, or ultimate nature of a thing. Then the properties or attributes by which something can be, blah blah blah, identified as being what it is. Then in or by its very nature. In this way, saying their true essence is basically like saying their true truth. The descriptive adjective true is being used to emphasize a characteristic of their essence and to make the story more dramatic. True is non-restrictive here. That's why the subtitlers put verdadera before esencia. His or her true essence, su verdadera esencia. If that leaves your head buzzing with questions or it confused you at all, I strongly suggest that you watch modules 7 and 8 in my premium course Logical Spanish, which you get access to when you're a lifetime member, which you can become for whatever price you want. With the Name Your Price special, there's really no excuse to not be a lifetime member and have access to all my premium videos, not only Logical Spanish. I reiterate, if you can't swing the $5 minimum, no worries, email me and I'll set you up for free. No questions asked. Okay, until the next time, hasta luego.